Okay, Father, please bless the words that are spoken. Let us be changed. Yes, us in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's jump right in here. I couldn't figure out what to call this sermon today. It and they're both shockers. So buckle up. The first one was my child has a demon. I was assigned this passage by Jason. So you're like, that looks too crazy. I don't want to, you know, it was Jason's fault. No, just kidding. Jason said, hey, this is the assigned passage or do whatever you want. Um, and I was, anyway, so my child has a demon or you dirty dog. <laughs> so I, I just couldn't figure out which which one of the two to run with. So it's either my child has a demon or your dirty dog, you dirty dog. Uh, yeah, so let's let's jump right in. Let's look at this passage. This is one of the more offensive passages in the entire Bible. We're getting we're getting off to a good start, aren't we? It's just lots of fun. Well, let's dive. We're just gonna dive right in. Okay. Now Jesus got up and went from there to the region of Tyre. Now we're supposed to be Bible students. We should know our biblical geography so we can make sense of these stories. You've got Judea, and that's where Jerusalem is. That's where the temple is. That's where a lot of action is. And then you have Samaria, and that's like where these half-breed kind of heretic cult people live called the Samaritans. And then a lot of times Jesus has to go through Samaria to get to Galilee, because Galilee you have some faithful followers of God as well. So you got Judea, Samaria, Galilee. But then way out of the picture, up in no man's land, up in spiritual wasteland, uh, these cities called Tyre and Sidon are way up there in the north. So just a little background here. He went from there to Tyre. What in the world is he doing in Tyre? He's got nothing to do with Tyre. It's not, it doesn't seem to be part of the program. Just file that away. And he entered a house, and he wanted no one to know it. But he can never keep that under wraps, his presence. He wanted no one to know it. And yet he could not escape notice. And after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter, I didn't remember that it said little. So what was she, some rebellious teenager? Some kid, you know, off smoking meth with her friends and, you know, some dark, gloomy, whatever. No, little. And immediately her heart goes, oh, she was little. She was, a, a, we got some beautiful little kids in the church. Little daughter had an unclean spirit. Uh, interesting phraseology in the New Testament. It's a demon. And we know what demons do. They make you crazy. They give you wild compulsions. They make you cut yourself. They give you suicidal thoughts. They make you plunge into sinful things you, you almost against your will. You don't want to do. So, little daughter has an unclean spirit. And she came. I thought this was a, a Jewish prophet or whatever he is. Doing miracles among the Jews. What's he doing in our town? I've heard about stuff that he's done. And she says, I know he could help my daughter. 
fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician descent. She's a heathen. She's a pagan. And if you study the religions that were in Canaan before the Jews came in and the religions that were present, idolatry, temple prostitution, just gross immorality, witchcraft, all kinds of stuff. She's in it up to her eyeballs. It doesn't say she's a God-fearing Gentile. She's just one of these people living without any regard for the one and true living God, using the powers out there to manipulate them for her own benefit, her selfishness, her flesh, using her, misusing her sexuality. Well, how do you know that? Because she's a human being. That's just what human beings do when they're in gross, perverted cultures. And anybody that doesn't think so is naive. And she, well, and she has a daughter, so she knows how it all works. Okay, she's not a nun. She repeatedly asked him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He was saying, let the children be satisfied first. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. How many of you get offended when you see that verse? How many of you have ever been offended by that verse? How many of you never read your Bible enough to be offended at anything? That's offensive. Heal my daughter. I want to help God's children. Uh, we shouldn't give their food to the dogs. Don't go online and listen to the 19-year-old influencer who doesn't know the Bible and just stumbled across this verse. The Bible's written, it's a minefield. And Jesus says so many things that are offensive that we cannot understand without the Holy Spirit. Man, if you read through the book of John, about every chapter, he's saying something and everybody's like, what in the world? Destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. Everybody's just like, have no clue what he's talking about here. So maybe... Maybe this isn't just Jesus being a jerk because he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe he's up to something else, something wonderful, something motivated by love, something that's going to lead to spiritual breakthrough. And if you can hang in there long enough with him, you can have breakthrough too. Or you can get upset and walk out of the room because, look, I just, yeah, I knew it. I knew God was like that. He's such a jerk. He's just always, no, maybe you've never seen him clearly. And if you give him time to explain himself. So anyway. She answered and said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And after going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. So I just came up with a few questions to run through here. Um. I'll just jump in and see what happens. Five questions. First one, why did Jesus go to Tyre? He is the Jewish Messiah. Judaism centers around Jerusalem. It's the city God chose to build the temple. 
This is the land that was given to Abraham. This is, this is, he's, he's left the borders and gone to hang out with the scum of the earth, the dregs, the rebels, the wild, crazy, you know, barbarians who don't give a rip about Yahweh. Why? He loves Gentiles. Some silly people online are like, in this passage, Jesus is learning not to be prejudiced against Gentiles. Have you have you read two Bible verses or just this one? His whole program, from the very beginning, he's always engaging Gentiles. He's the Jewish Messiah, but somehow it's going to get to everybody else too. And he usually is praising the Gentiles and he's telling the Jews, these guys, these wild, crazy barbarians, they're doing it better than you Jews. And do you know that he has language that is way more amped up than this directed at Jews? Sons of the devil. Yeah, go read Matthew 23. I was, run, I was running through that. Hypocrites, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, snake pit. I mean, these are Jews he's talking about. So you're like, he's so mean, so mean to the Gentiles. He's not being mean. You have to understand what he's up to. But the reason he's going to tire way outside of what looks like his program is he loves everybody. We just don't understand what he's doing and what he's up to and three-fourths of the time or more what he's even talking about. So, how do we know he loves Gentiles? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the four Gospels, and you can compare and, and, and put together the picture so you get a much bigger, fuller understanding of what Jesus is doing. But in Matthew, uh, when his cousin, John the Baptist, was put to death, it says he withdrew into Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are of the 12 tribes, and you have to know your Bible to know what he's talking about here. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. He goes and hangs out in the middle of Gentiles. This is his home base. So he's obviously not disgusted by Gentiles, doesn't want to be around Gentiles. People who are sitting in darkness have seen a great light. He's always been about redeeming the entire world. So uh, <clears throat> for you Bible students out there, most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament is Psalms. Second most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament is Isaiah. Good. All through Isaiah, he's like, God is going to incorporate the Gentiles into his people. It's always been his plan. This is 700 years before the birth of Christ. He's saying again and again and again, I love Gentiles. I'm going to incorporate them into my people. I'm not going to leave them out. So just some other stuff in Isaiah. Going further in that chapter, <laughs> I never know like the emotion is going to hit me. Like I got like a little wave of a child will be born to us. Who? The Jews and the Gentiles. A son will be given. The government will be on his shoulders. Anybody listen to Handel's Messiah? Let me see your hands. Man, it's one of the greatest pieces of music written in human history. And I think that the angels are pretty much going to trash everything we wrote, probably, except for maybe a couple of things that Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir did and Handel's Messiah. 
gosh, it's just, it's amazing, but it's straight scripture. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, a Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the same chapter where he's talking about Jesus is going to hang out among the Gentiles. He's going to be the king for everybody. So anyway, why is he up in Tyre? He loves Gentiles. And then Isaiah 56. Don't let the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. This is Isaiah 56. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. So even if you can't have kids, he says, you're going to have descendants if you can't have kids. And you're going to be a part of my people if you're one of those crazy barbarian Gentiles out there. Um, I love you all. I'm going to figure out a way to incorporate you all. And so this whole chapter is just amazing. Down in verse six, to the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath. Now, this is a Old Testament concept that is fulfilled in the New Testament in a way that I'm not going to preach a sermon on, but we don't have to become Seventh-day Adventists. Um, holds fast to my covenant, even to those I will bring to my holy mountain, I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. This is that passage that Jesus is quoting when he said that the, that the temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the, all the nations. So anyway, why is he up in Tyre? Because God loves everybody, and God loves you. And God loves me. I have one friend that I can think of in town who knows his Jewish roots. So... Most of the people now that got in on this deal are not Jewish by descent. He's a pastor of the E-Free Church, by the way. Steve Ratliff, his mother's Jewish, so if you're wondering. But um, most of my friends were all the crazy Gentiles, and we all got in on salvation. Why? Because God's always loved Gentiles. What's a Gentile? Anybody who's not a Jew, that's pretty easy. Okay, question number two. Why did the Gentile woman come to him? couple reasons. And if we do a little cross-referencing, we have this story written by Mark, we have this story written by Matthew. And it says some of the details, this is why we compare and we look at the different stories. They don't contradict. They give you a full picture. That's why the police want as many witnesses as they can get at a crime scene. There's a wreck. There's someone up in an apartment on the fifth floor. There's someone on the corner over there. There's a driver in the car. There's a car behind the car that just got hit. He wants to hear from everybody. So if we want to get a much fuller picture of what God's doing in the New Testament, listen to Matthew, listen to Mark, listen to Luke, listen to John. So Matthew goes into this story. <clears throat> Jesus went away from there, withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, they're using some different words here. Uh, Syrophoenician, Gentile, uh, came out. She began to cry out saying, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David? That's kind of weird. That means she's kind of up on what's going on spiritually here. Maybe she's read a little Isaiah. Maybe thinking around on the internet, looking into witchcraft, she tapped into some Christian site. Right? That happens. How many of you guys thinking around, looking into occult crazy stuff, started getting drawn into some Christian stuff? Yeah, I see that hand. Yeah, I know for certain he was one that had to do it. But that's the reason you're sitting here, right? There's all this false spirituality out there, and you hit a vein of the good stuff. Maybe she's like, wow. I uh, Yeah, I've been going to my astrologer, and I've been going to whoever, the witch doctor, 
But uh, I've also been paying attention down at the synagogue, been stopping in there, and been listening to this Isaiah stuff. And Creator God says He's going to send a Messiah, and He's descended from David, and He's going to bring hope to the Gentiles. And then she hears about this guy doing miracles. So I think this is him because this title is wild for uh, a Gentile to say to a Jew. Um, and they have to know a little bit of what's going on here. He has to be the promised line of David. So anyway, she's a little more keen. She's not just some woman that kind of stumbled off the street and said, hey, I'll try this guy out. She's, she's kind of putting some pieces together. Son of David, my daughter's cruelly demonized. Some of your Bibles say demon-possessed. Very misleading uh, phraseology. It comes from archaic English, and we need to punt it. Demon-possessed is not a helpful way. It's demonized. It's afflicted by a demon. Possessed makes you think you're owned and all this. It's, it's not the right uh, word for it, but demonized is the right word. So my daughter is cruelly demonized. Um, I was cruelly demonized. I'm glad I recognized what it was because I got out of it. The devil would like a lot of you who are cruelly demonized to think there isn't such thing as demons and you, nobody's demonized and it's all psychological and, and take meds and go pay 15 therapists to hear about why you didn't, you know, you didn't get a little red wagon when you were a kid and that's why you're this way or you have. Anyway, a lot of you guys in here realize, wow, I was cruelly, I was, I was afflicted by spiritual powers that were driving me to do things I didn't want to do. And she realized that that's what was going on with her daughter. But some of the other details in here, he calls her, she calls him son of David, which means she's putting some pieces together here. This is the Messiah. But he didn't answer her a word. He ignores her a little bit. And uh, his disciples come and say, get her out of here. She's making a scene. How many of you guys were there when we first started as a church and there's a woman who came in and she was making a scene. Anybody remember that? Yeah, a few of you guys. I'm like, get her out of here. We can't pay attention to the brilliant pastor with this person making a scene. Um, so it doesn't look good for her. She was shouting. He answered and said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So again, we're getting some details here. Who are the children? the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She came and began to bow down saying, Lord, help me. He said, it's not good to take the children's bread. Who? Israel. And give it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Jesus said, oh, woman, you have mega faith. That's literally what she said. And this, I can't find this. I don't think there's anywhere else in the New Testament. He tells anyone they have mega faith. He calls his disciples Little Faiths. That was her nickname. Come on, Little Faiths. Let's go, Little Faiths. Seriously. Hey, Little Faiths. Let's go. Guys, pack up. Got to get out of here. He said, this crazy, this crazy Gentile woman with a demonized daughter, Mega Faith. Um, it'll be done to you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Uh, another thing that's interesting, if we think Jesus is mean to Gentiles and he's calling them dogs, read the Gospels. Jesus is kind to Gentiles out of the gate of his ministry, right out of the gate. And he's telling the Gentiles that they're amazing and they're gonna, the people are going to come from the 
north, south, east, and west, reclined Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the table, and he's talking about Gentiles. But um, just a couple chapters earlier, we have a miracle. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. This is a Gentile area. He got out of the boat immediately. A man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Uh, he had his dwelling among the tombs. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he'd been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him. The shackles had been broken in pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And sometimes when people are demonized, they have this problem. I remember when I was young, I got an internship program, and I had a little guy who was 11 years old, just a little chubby ball of goo that had no physical strength at all. But when he, when, when this demonic power would come over him, it would take three grown men to restrain him. So, yeah, this is this guy's. He's breaking chains. He's seeing Jesus from a distance. He ran up and bowed down before him. Now, this isn't the demon bowing down before him. This is the man saying, help me, please, please help me. I don't know how I got into this situation. I, he's in, in the other gospels, he's gnashing himself with stones. He's screaming. I remember, I remember reading a book about a guy. Some people have trouble with this book, but if you understand what the guy was doing, it's a pretty neat book uh, called The Shack. Anybody read that one? Some of you are like, I'm leaving this church. I can't believe you like that book. Um, well, let's talk afterwards. It's a pretty neat book. It was a guy that grew up in church and got all the wrong stuff. And, and he used to go out by the railroad tracks where the trains came roaring by just so he could scream. Have you guys ever been there? Just one. No, I, seriously. I, I remember. Uh, okay, I'll, I wasn't going to say anything. I just finished my book. So, um, but one of the, in the first chapter, my second book, in the first chapter, I talked about when I was, when I was tormented and I was sitting in the Moody church in Chicago, like the historic Moody church. And I was saying to myself, what, how do I feel right now? What's a picture in my mind that I can draw or, or whatever concoct in my brain to just try to express what I'm, and it's like, oh, I got it. All right, think of a pickup truck speeding down the road with a chain or a rope on the back of it tied around my ankles, dragging me down the street. And I'm just screaming and writhing as this thing's pulling me down the street. This is how I felt in Bible college. Okay, that's what, that's what being demonized feels like. You want out. So this guy wants out. So he ran up, bowed down. He said... Uh, the demons inside this guy, they say, what do we have? What business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God, I implore you by God, don't torment me. He'd been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus is commanding this guy, um, the spirits to come out of this guy. And they're not, they're not coming because it's this continual thing. Nobody wants to be demonized. And, uh, Jesus is commanding the spirits to come out of the sky. And he's saying, what's your name? He said, my name is Legion. We are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them. 
So Legion, I can't remember that, something like 6,000 Roman troops, Legion. So this, what they're saying is this dude has 6,000 demons inside of him. They could be lying because they lie, but a bunch. And they begged him not to send them out of the country. So you're like, wow, this is weird. Oh, yeah, we get little bits and pieces of how the demons work, but... Um, there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby in the mountain. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so we may enter them. They didn't want to get thrown. I don't know. Some people think they get, you can command them to go into the abyss and they just have to sit like in prison until Jesus comes back. A lot of people act like they're experts on how demons work and what they do and what they do on their day off and whatever. Um, the Bible gives us little bits and pieces of it, but anybody who thinks they know too much probably is not going to be a very healthy church and you're going to get into some weirdness. But the fact that they are, that's pretty obvious. The fact that they try to destroy people, that's pretty obvious. And we know enough from the Bible to get them the heck out of our lives. That's, you know, from Scripture. So they seem to be tied to geography. They don't want to be thrown out. They... And so he says, send us into these pigs. Jesus gave them permission. Coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. They, the herd rushed down steep bank into the sea, about 2,000. And they're drowned in the sea. <clears throat> so again, people are like, <laughs> they're like, why, why would Jesus, he's so mean. Why would he, again, we don't. We don't know what the story is. I have an interpretive principle here I'm going to jump ahead to. Interpretive principle. Don't assume the best of people and the worst of God. Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead. There were just two people trying their best. And look how mean God was. Why do you assume God is the wicked one and Ananias and Sapphira were so great? That guy Uzzah touched the ark and fell over dead. Well, besides the fact that there's clear commands in Scripture not to touch the ark, or you'll you know you'll be worthy of death. Was that was? Um, how do you know Uzzah was like Mister Rogers? How do you know he didn't have dead bodies under his house? Given the fact that that's the way most Jews lived for most of Israel's history, and if you don't see that, you haven't read your Bible. I mean, they were sacrificing their children to Molech. They're going to prostitutes. They were committing incest. They were it, the the Old Testament is not a story about a bunch of good people that tried their best to walk with God. The, the Old Testament is about a bunch of rebels that God put up with for a couple thousand years before Jesus came, and they couldn't follow him for, I mean, the longest stretch might have been forty years out of two thousand. And they're constantly going to apostasy. When he delivered them from Egypt, they smuggled their idols out. As soon as Moses went away for a couple weeks, they fire Yahweh, the, the God that delivered them, and they, they have a pagan orgy before a golden calf. These are rebels, wicked rebel people. So don't always assume the best of the people in the narrative. I think that's the devil. The devil assigns a demon to sit on our shoulders so that we... Think the worst of God in every passage and the best of people. There was just a good person trying their best. No, maybe that person was just like you. Maybe just like you, hiding secrets, who before you came to Christ, lied, cheat, betrayed, 
or you were self-righteous, which was the worst sin of all. And you thought that somehow you're inherently good just because you were raised in a good family and you were always trying to please people. So you never broke the rules. But she said, well, those kind of people are almost unworkable and they're the worst of all. They're the ones that position, but we're just wicked people. So don't assume the best of people and the worst of God in these, in these narratives. Assume the best of God and that people are generally dirty dogs. They are. So anyway, I'll get back to my, where am I? Mark. So now this is another thing that's interesting. One person has enough demonic chaos and power in them, in this story, to destroy a herd of 2,000 pigs. It's crazy. They, they are powerful. And according to scripture, they are trying to destroy us. You can learn to play the game and beat them. Like all the time. Most people cower and bite their fingernails down to the cuticle like Satan's this indomitable, unstoppable force. If you just learn how to play the game, you can beat him every single time. You don't have to be scared of him. You don't have to lose any sleep over him or his hordes of demons. But that's maybe a sermon for another time. But when I was young, yeah, I was, I was tormented, but I learned how to fight and I expect to win whenever I get in a situation like this, whenever I expect to get. And I've been journaling my life for the last 30 years and I haven't really assessed it or put it all together. I've just started to like pile it all up and look at it. Um, when I read this stuff when I was young, I just believed it. If Jesus said there are demons out there, there are demons out there. There's never been anybody like Jesus. There's never been anyone. When he was alive, there was nobody that could fix people like Jesus. But to the present date, there's nobody that can fix people like Jesus. You don't have uh, books like The Cross and the Switchblade. You don't have the son of Sam becoming a Muslim. You know, the son of Sam was converted, uh, you know, and had his life turned around. You have these dramatic, and even in our own church, we have these dramatic conversions. They don't happen apart from Jesus. He had all the power in the first century. He still has all the power. And he said, there's demons out there and we got to deal with them. And he's got the solution and he's got the key. So I believe this when I was younger and I've been looking through my life and some of the greatest miracles that ever happened, happened when I just took all this very seriously and did exactly what the Bible said. This morning when I, how do I explain this? I didn't, I wasn't really thrilled about preaching today, quite frankly, um, because I've just given birth to a 30-year baby. So imagine carrying a baby around for 30 years and then finally giving it birth. Uh, and what do you feel like? I felt like, nothing. I felt like I w didn't feel bad. I didn't feel you for, I just felt like flatline, like, huh. Hey, Ted, you get to preach a sermon. I just gave birth to a 30 year baby, man. And I'm talking about my book. I've literally been writing this book for 30 years. I just, I don't remember ever feeling so like emotionally nothing ever before. And so then Jason's like, you're up and uh, you can preach the uh, Mark passage if you want to. I don't know Mark as well as Matthew because the synoptic gospels are so similar. I decided to only do serious memorization in Matthew. So I didn't know that Mark 7 had this story in it. And I was like, oh man, Lord, I don't know what to preach. 
I don't really want to preach, but I guess I'll look at what the passage is. And when I saw it, I was like, wow, yes, awesome. Because I, I really did. I was so excited. I could not have pulled a, a more exciting passage out. And immediately it made me think of being back in Ellsworth. And I don't think anybody was with us at that time except Susan. You weren't even there yet, were you? But uh, on the day of my ordination in um, April 2007, boy, it was wild, man. God was doing so many miracles, did so many miracles. And he is doing so many miracles now in this church. We're going to look back on this. You're like, yeah, it's just normal stuff. It's just normal, you know, to have, you know, answers to prayer and people getting baptized and saved and you know, people getting out of the, you know, loony bin and off the street and all this and getting off their drugs, all just normal stuff. It's not. But anyway, back in Ellsworth, we had the same kind of stuff going on. And on the day of my ordination, we had a girl in our church and she was demonized. She would have regular epileptic like seizures and um, she was suicidal. She was not born again. And during my ordination, we had, it was awesome. I mean, we had, my dad was there. We had, uh, some other ministers there and and it was just a lot of god in the house and this and when, when that happens demons get crazy and so this girl got up went home and tried to kill herself and um i think richard was there were you there okay richard was there she went home and just tried she took a whole bunch of tylenol and the next thing we heard she's in she's just visiting the church she's not She's not like up front raising her hands, go Jesus. She's just kind of, you know, I don't know. Maybe like the Seraphonician woman. She's just like, hey, maybe this Jesus has got something for me. But she was a wildly immoral girl from a horribly broken family. But when there's too much God in the house, the devil's saying, hey, go home and kill yourself. And she goes home and tries to kill herself. Then she's in the hospital in Salina. And, uh, we are praying against the devil because it's the devil. Either Jesus is crazy or there's a devil. And there's not just a devil. He's just king. There's hordes of demons out there and they're trying to wreck you through sin and lies. And everything you think is your psychological chaos and mayhem. That's it's, So often it's demonic. Or Jesus is a nut whack, and we need to just throw out our Bibles and go get a psychology degree, because that works so beautifully well, right? We've all been healed by a great psychotherapist. Yes, I'm biased against secular counseling. The counselors are usually crazier than the people that are going to them. It's just a fact. They're getting degrees trying to find answers, and they don't find them, and they charge you $150 an hour to come and talk to them. Anyway. So, girl goes home, tries to kill herself. We're praying, praying, praying. I go to the hospital. I meet the mom, and I said, she's going to be healed. God's going to heal her. I'm like, you can't say that. That's What if God doesn't? You're going to look like an idiot. It's like, yep, I guess I will. But we're trying. We're praying. Because I think anytime someone wants to kill themselves, that's demonic. It's the most unnatural thought a human being can have. We love ourselves. We cherish ourselves. We nurture ourselves. We, the, the reason the whole Holocaust worked for the Nazis was because we love ourselves and you can, you can just string people out if, if you won't kill them and you give them hope that maybe they'll make it.
And that's why the, all these atrocities could be committed on the Jews because we love ourselves and we, we want to live. So it's demonic. We want to destroy ourselves. So anyway, praying. And then uh, uh, I'm told one, she won't come out. She was in a coma. She won't, she's not coming out. Two, she's going to have uh, brain damage. Her internal organs are going to be shredded. And even if she does come out, she's going to be in a mental facility for months and months and months. And we're just praying, 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 praying. And a week goes by. And then a Sunday, then the next Sunday comes, and I'm going to preach. And guess what I'm going to preach on? I'm going to preach on the passage where the father has a demonized child, and he goes to Jesus. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief, and all that. And the disciples can't get the job done. Why? He says they don't believe. Some, some Christians can't help people because they just don't even believe in demons. That's like a... That's like a Someone who doesn't believe in cancer, trying to heal people with cancer. You can't help people with demonic issues if you don't believe in demons. So the disciples, when this, in this passage, uh, they can't help this guy. And then Jesus comes and he delivers a kid. But I'm all ready to preach this passage. And I'm like, and it's very relevant because our church is dealing with this girl who's tried to kill herself and she's demonized. And um, I'm all loaded for bear and I'm ready to go. And we're worshiping, and the girl walks in. Now, did you hear what I said? Either her brain damage, her internal organs are shredded, or she's going to be months and months and months in a psych facility. We're praying. We're doing warfare for her. We're in faith, believing. She walks in. But then I start arguing with God. I said, God, there's no way you want me to preach a sermon on a demonized kid who wants to kill themselves when that kid just walked in the back of our church. You can't want me to preach that sermon. I don't think I can pull this off with her here because I don't know what the state of her soul is. I don't know what she's doing here. And we're just worshiping. She walks down to the front during our worship. And I said, do you want to give your life to Jesus? She said, of course. It's really happened. This kind of stuff will happen. This kind of stuff does happen. But most Christians don't even believe that the demonic is even anything. Or if there are demons, maybe there's a few off in a cave in Burma, you know, and a few down in South America, and maybe five or ten off in Africa, you know, dinking around with a witch doctor. Or like Jesus said, they're everywhere and they're working us all. But like Paul said, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I'm serious. You cannot read the Bible and take Jesus seriously or the apostles seriously if you don't believe in these demonic powers that are trying to destroy us. So anyway, back to our original story. This woman, this pagan, heathen, gross, immoral woman, and I'm I would bet you money, and we, I'll pay you when we get to heaven, or you'll pay me when we meet her. She was into the occult, and she was grossly immoral, because that's what happens in these gross pagan religions. But she heard that Jesus had helped. Maybe she heard this story. Jesus is going to the Gentiles, man. 
He's going to the scumbags like us. He's not just helping the Jews. He's helping everybody. And he's in town. So she goes and she's yelling, Jesus, 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 heal my daughter. And I've done a little background research on you. I think you're the son of David. I think you're the coming Messiah. And I've read Isaiah and Isaiah said, everybody gets in who wants to get in on it. So why did the Gentile woman come to him? Why does this woman's daughter have a demon? Ooh, this is going to get personal here. Why does this woman's daughter have a demon? Man, don't watch movies about what demons are and how they work. Because she moved into a haunted house. Because she bought a relic at a yard sale from ancient Babylon. And the demon jumped out of it and mugged her. And it's all nonsense. The Bible lays it all out perfectly clear how they work, where they get their rights to us. Demons get rights over us through one primary thing. I might say two primary things. But the big entry point is sin. Sin. And when you're a parent and you have authority over your children... If you're sinning, then a lot of times they get in and infect your kids. Why does this woman's daughter have a demon? Because she is grossly immoral. That's why people have demons. That's why their children have demons. Demons are like, like flies. They congregate where there's stink. Our human stink is our sin. Our stink repels everything holy. God and his holy angels, etc. Our stink draws. That's why they, you know what one of the names for Satan is? Lord of the flies. Why does this, now again, I can't go into all the details here. So, Anyway, now let's get to the real crux of the issue, the thing that offends everybody. Why did Jesus call her a dog? He never called the other Gentiles dogs. He was just as gentle and kind to all the Gentiles that came to him as he was with the Jews. And the Samaritan woman as well, if you remember in the book of John. There's an immoral woman who meets him at the, she's at the well in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to be there when the other women are there because she's that woman, probably stole a couple of their husbands. Um, she's just dirty, dirty woman. So Jesus meets her. He's just kind and gentle and um, give me a drink. If you saw, if you saw a woman, you know, you could tell she's all methed out and she's a prostitute and she's all, you know, raggedy from the, you know, just working the streets all weekend. Would you say, hey, would you mind uh can I, can I share a table at the coffee shop with you? You know, and would you, would you, what, what he did is he gave her dignity. Let her know. She said, how is it that you ask, you being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman. And he said, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me and I would have given you living water. He's not a prejudice. He's not prejudiced. He loves everybody. So anyway, why is he calling her a dog? 
Okay, I used to have a sermon that I preached on this, but I think my views have changed. I used to teach that I think what Jesus is doing here, and it may be a combination and of, of this and what I'm going to say here. But I used to think this is the, like the greatest picture of intercession because Jesus is putting up barriers. He acts like he ignores her. She pushes that down. He acts like the, the disciples are like, get her out of here. Um, and then he says, you're, you're an outsider, not an insider. She pushes that down. But what if Jesus calls her a dog because she is a dog? Let me tell you a secret about my dog. A gross, disgusting secret about my dog. My dog eats poop. I love my dog, but when we go out on hikes, he looks for coyote poop and he eats it. And I throw things at him and I yell at him. And I'm like, get away from that, you stupid dog. And I hope nobody sees me. It makes me so mad. Do you know why my dog eats poop? Because he's a dog. My other dog ate a skunk. And, he's, and, I, real, and I learned that skunk stench comes through your dog's body just because they're so potent. So he smelled. Why? My dog, my dog likes to find dead things and roll in them. Oh, yeah, you say, ooh, your dog does it too. Don't do this. My dog's holier than that, thine dog. Oh, yeah. She said, my dog like cat poop. My dog used to go to the cat thing, even with the crunchy things on it, like it was a candy bag. Sorry, I don't want to go off on a comedy routine about dogs. Maybe Jesus, he's not saying anything about this woman's ethnicity. Maybe it has nothing to do with Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, anything. It has to do with being righteous and unrighteous. And he said, God's blessings are for the righteous. Could this be what's going on? It doesn't say she's a Christian. She's a God-fearer. She's a good woman. She's trying her hardest. She's filth morally. Or there's some way to earn your salvation in Scripture and some pagan religion got someone there. But why do they go, no, she's a Gentile. She's Syrophoenician. She's Greek. She's an outsider. And she says, look, God's blessings are for insiders. And then she says, yeah, but God's so good. His goodness will even fall to me. It'll even fall to me. And again, I'm not sure about this. I don't have the biblical evidence. But I think Jesus smiled. Said, mega faith, lady. We got mega faith. Because faith ultimately is rooted in the goodness of God. And then from the goodness of God comes the promises of God. And so she understood something about the goodness of God. God, you are so good. You're so good, Jesus, that I believe you would even bless me. And he said, you're right. Even though, now, there's no indication here that she repented yet. So she may still be a dog. I think she probably repented real quick. I think we're going to meet this woman in heaven. But she 
uh, going back to the woman at the well, remember what she's told the people in town? This man told me everything I've done. I always tell people, what if I had all your lowlights on my phone here? You'd never come back to church. I wouldn't teach. I'd leave town if you had my lowlights. Now, there are some people that have never really done anything, and they're under the delusion that they're good people. And, and again, those are people that their circumstances have kept them from evil, but they're just as rotten as everybody else, but they're really tough nuts to crack. And my wife was one of them. God had to give her some revelatory dreams to show her that she could do anything just like anybody else. We are dogs. I think I was out with Ty evangelizing, and I called someone a dirty dog. Weren't you with me? Yeah. I. There's no, there's no hiding it. We're dogs, man. It's like my dog likes to eat poop. He likes to roll in dead carcasses. We, apart from Christ, that's what we do. We're sick. We're gross. We're disgusting. Of course, it's an analogy. It's a comparison, but it's like we're pigs. We're dogs. We're you know, what do pigs do? They wallow in the muck and they eat anything. And they're before God gets to us, we're dogs. Jesus didn't complain. How dare you, Jesus? Just because I'm a Gentile, you think you Jews are better? It didn't have anything to do with it. She probably said, Jesus, you're right. I have. I was watching. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes when I relax, I like to just watch. I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of redeeming value, but uh, I like Downton Abbey. Anybody like Downton Abbey? Anybody? Okay, my wife. That really wicked housemaid, really, Thomas's friend, she's horrible. But she's always sneaking around and acting like she loves the, the, the lady of the manor. And uh, she set up a, a situation where she was feeling vindictive towards, um, what's her name? Crowley, Lady Grant. No, the one that she... Okay, the main lady in the she set it up so that she she would slip after her bath, fall and lose her child. And then for the rest of her life, only she knows she did this, but she's carrying this around in her soul. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but most people are carrying stuff around in their soul. And if you know that you you made Jesus and um, he knows what you've done. He knows where you've been. He knows those darkest, horrible things. And you know that he stands for righteousness, holiness, purity, truth. And the people that are following him are people that are committed to righteousness, holy, purity, truth. And you're still carrying around your garbage. And he turns to you and he says, you're a dog. You'd say, darn straight, I'm a dog. You're right, I'm a dog. That's exactly what I am. And I should burn in hell for all eternity, but I still love my little daughter, and I still know you can fix her. And I still know you're good enough to even bless me. And I'm, I, this is my new interpretation. I think that's precisely what's going on there, and it makes sense with everything else that is said in the Bible. He calls her dog because she's a dog. Just like the guy I was witnessing to, I'm out there when I'm sharing Christ. People say, I'm a good person, and then I, and I do the phone thing. Yeah, but if I had all your low lights, 
I said something like, you're a dirty dog just like everybody else. Like, you got me. I was reviewing my life. I remember I was being in, I was in Russia. I'm sitting with these school teachers and one of them accepts Christ and the other one says, I don't need Christ because I'm a good person. And then I said, from the book of Romans, second chapter, when no one else is looking, you do all the same things. She said, got me. I need Jesus as well. He's not talking about her value, her worth, how much God loves her. He's talking about her moral filth. So, anyhow, let's keep moving here. I already went over this. Don't assume the best of people and the worst of God. Assume the best of God and that people are generally dirty dogs. And you're going to make it a million miles with God if you'll just own that. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Well, at least I never do 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 All right, then go sit in your muck and end up in hell. Or just say, look, I'm not going to compare myself to any of these other dirty dogs. I got my guilt. I got my shame. I'm so far from God's moral expectations. He wants to forgive you. He wants to heal you. But you have to start with where you're really at. Just like the, the woman at the well did as well. He said... What do you say? You've had four husbands, and the man which you now have is not your husband? Or was it five husbands? You've had five husbands, and the guy you're shacking up with now isn't your husband? He basically told her the same thing. You're a dirty dog. She repented. She caused a spark to revival in Samaria. He didn't say this because he's mean, and he's rude, and he hates people, and he's a racist, and he's a whatever. He said it because it was true. It was true. So, why does this woman's daughter have a demon? Because she's filthy, wicked, sinful. I could tell you more spiritual warfare stories, but I won't. I've already told you. Yeah, I told you one about Estes Park before I went to Russia, and this kid who's got demons doing all kinds of stuff in his house, and then he comes to Christ, and we find out his dad's a warlock. He's all into witchcraft. Well, of course. You're gonna have, and it's not just witchcraft. Bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness. That works just as well as witchcraft. Immorality. Sexual morality works just as well as witchcraft or bitterness or hatred or anything else to open the door for demons. Why did Jesus call her a dog? Because morally speaking, she was a dog, as we all are. Does that mean he doesn't love her? No, he's just calling the thing what it is. What does he want her? He, he wants to forgive her. He wants to cleanse her. He wants to make her new. That's never going to happen if she's not going to deal with the real story. Oh, another thing, here's something for you spiritual warfare people that want to figure out how this works. And some of you are getting it figured out. I mean, we're happy, we, the cool thing I like to watch is you guys start to do it. Um, yeah, it, it should not be whoever your pastor is, the pastor's show. It should be the pastor's teaching you how to do it, and then you're out there doing it. Um, some of you guys learn how to do this, but here's just a little tip. Do you have to be in the room to deal with a demon? Yes or no? No. Jesus was not anywhere near this little girl. So, demon flares up, deal with it. If you know that there's a demon that is afflicting a person, um, you can deal with it right where you are if you follow the Holy Spirit and you, you've got a beeline on what he's up to. So, uh, Just so you know, this is a verse from Leviticus 18 that tells you a little bit about what was going on in uh, 
whatever you want to call it, Canaan, the land of Canaan, the, the promised land before the Jews got there. It says in Leviticus 18, this is why Israel had to drive them all out, wipe them out. It says all these detestable activities. You can go back and read in Leviticus 18 and 19. What kind of detestable activities were they practicing in these non-Jewish nations before the Jews got there? Infant sacrifice, as in giving their babies to their god, Molech. Uh, temple prostitution. It has a whole chapter that says, sorry, there's... Maybe I'll modify how I say this. Don't have intimate relations with, and you name it, your sister, your grandma, your brother, your uh, animals, men with men, women with And it goes through this whole thing. Why? Because that's what they were doing. Witchcraft, adultery. I mean, anything goes in these lands. And this is what was going on before the people of God got there. And God said, these detestable activities are practiced by all these people, the land I'm taking you. This is how the land has become defiled. Don't defile the land and give it a reason to vomit you out. So eventually God is going to not put up with this kind of behavior and he has to take care of it. But anyway, this is what was going on beforehand. Um, and this is a part of that would have been these regions where Tyre and Sidon are and all that. <clears throat> so... Um, why did Jesus die? Why did he die? So Jesus eventually goes, he loves everybody. He loves the Gentiles. He loves the Samaritans. He loves the Jews. Um, he uses some strong language to get people's attention. But he uses way stronger language with Jews than he ever used with this Gentile woman. Snake pit, all this kind of stuff. But why did, why did Jesus die? After after. Loving, serving, giving, feeding, healing, casting demons out of people. Um, he let them. He went through a sham trial and he let them kill him. He said, I could have called 10 legions of angels. I could have, I could have eviscerated this entire planet. I'm God. I could have wiped you all out, but he didn't. Why? Because mystery of mysteries, I don't understand how all this works. Maybe we never will. By God becoming man and dying on a cross, he provides the forgiveness for all of us dirty dogs. The Syrophoenician woman, her daughter, the Samaritan, even those Jews that he yelled at said, you're a pit of snakes. His death on the cross somehow mysteriously secures salvation, forgiveness for every human being who's ever been born. Not only that, the blood of Jesus can cleanse us, but then if we let him forgive us, he'll, the Holy Spirit moves in and he changes us so we no longer like to eat poop. Seriously. He puts these new desires in us, so instead of using people, lying, scheming, scratching, clawing like the rest of the world, we love giving and serving and loving, and someone who's not saved says, that's just not natural. You're exactly right. You like to eat poop. But when God's spirit gets in you, you want to serve and give and love, and you don't want to hurt anybody. And people that have double-crossed double you, you can forgive them and pray God's blessing on them. And a person that understands why Jesus has died, and they let God forgive them on the basis of what he's done, 
and they let the Holy Spirit come into their life and cleanse them and they commit to a holy lifestyle because even after you're born again, you can still collect demons and be afflicted by demons if you go back to your old poop-eaten ways. Even Christians can be demonized. But if you walk in holiness, Satan can't, you're, you're, you're like, you have a force field around you. you. You have the authority. You have the upper hand. You get to walk into situations where Satan is, and he straightens up because he's like, uh-oh, there's one of them born-again people that are walking in holiness. They get to call the shots in this situation. And Satan doesn't want to be around a holy person, a truth-telling person, a compassionate person, a generous person, a sexually pure person. You're the last thing that a demon wants. You're repulsive. Just like your sin and your stench draws him, holiness repels him, and you draw God's presence and God's spirit. So anyway, Jesus died to set us free from our sin, and in setting us free from our sin, he broke the yoke and the authority and the right that Satan had over us. And uh, there's some of us in here, we were extreme cases, man. We were nuts, suicidal, miserable, but once we understood that we can be forgiven, we can be healed, we can be restored, um, Satan's power of us can be broken. Not only that, now we get to go into the darkness and we get to pull people out. That's kind of fun, you know? So if you're not born again, you're not on God's team, you're a dirty dog. Just like that guy I was talking to out there doing evangelism. There's no denying it. You've done horrible, wicked things. You're not going to be able to stand before God and say, I was better than Hitler. Well, good, and you can go sit with you can sit one one seat up higher than Hitler in hell. Good, good for you. Congratulations. Um, we need to be pure and holy and forgiven. So that's what the gospel is. Jesus died for your sin, so you could be forgiven, so the spirit could come into your life, so you could be free, and so you wouldn't have to be under the power of the evil one any longer. So just run through something real quick here. If my computer will agree. Some principles. Incorporate demons into your worldview. Do you ever think about them? According to Scripture, they're everywhere. Do you have a clue how they work? Most Christians don't. Yeah, okay. I understand how they work. Now we're ahead of ourselves. Now press in. Think maybe you have demonic issues? No, psychological. The devil's laughing. As long as you just think it's about meds and your chemical imbalance and, you know, it's like your pet monster, um, it'll control you. I had someone tell me one time that I was going to have to carry depression for the rest of my life. It's going to be my thorn in the flesh. I said, baloney. Uh-uh. No way. It's not God's will. You guys deal with anxiety, eating disorders, porn addiction, not going to look at anybody. These are just very, very common things. Voices in your head. You don't have to. Press in like this woman. And start with honest. Mm, so many sermons to preach. Been a lot of lying going on in this church, I hate to say. A lot of lying. It shocks me. It's like when I became a Christian and the Bible says don't lie, I'm like, okay, I'm done with that. Evidently, some people think they can still lie in the body of Christ. You're nuts. Stop lying. People lie about time they spent in the Bible. People lie about, I haven't done this sin. And so they just lie. 
You are not going to get anywhere in the kingdom of God if you're lying. Honest, open, self-assessment. So when Jesus says you're a dog, you say, yep. And even after you're born again, when God says, hey, go tell the church you've been screwing around. They'll love you. They'll restore you. But stop lying. We can't get anywhere if you're lying. The devil still got you if you're lying. But open, honest. So this woman, I think she started, you're a dog. All right, fine. I'm a dog. But how about some grace for a dog? Jesus said, mega faith. I like that. And mega truth, mega honesty. Let's do, yeah, the, make space for the mega faith to do its thing. So, God loves us. We are dogs. But he makes us into saints. He doesn't, he's not talking about our worth. He loves us or he wouldn't have died for us. We have infinite value in his eyes. But he's talking about our moral um. It's the way we were before he forgave us and changed our hearts. So, um, yeah, I went a little overtime, and we have communion. And um, what is communion? Communion is for those of us who've been born again. For those of us who've been born again, you're not dogs anymore. You're, hallelujah. We're not dogs anymore. We don't like to eat poop. Seriously. We don't like doing filthy, rotten things. We don't like hurting other people. We like doing Jesus kind of things. It makes us high. It makes us euphoric. Why? Because the Spirit of God has invaded us. And so we come down and we celebrate Jesus' death on the cross. And we remind ourselves of what he did for us. And we make a recommitment. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm all about. Because we get fuzzy out there living in the world. I'm all about living for Jesus. I'm, I'm all about helping people get out of the domain of darkness, etc. It's a time to kind of renew your vows to the Lord. Anybody here who's not born again, this isn't for you. I mean, it could be if you want to give your life to Jesus this morning. A lot of people, it's at a communion service when they understand it. Oh, that's what the blood and the, the uh, flesh broken for me is all about. So um, it says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. So he, why do you deserve to die? Because you're filth. You're, you're disgusting you're, in God's eyes. It's like my own child. If my child was a mass murderer, I wouldn't say, I'm just going to not think about the fact that he's a mass murderer. No, what he did is awful and he deserves punishment, but I still love him because he's my child. And God says, someone has to be punished. Jesus said, I was punished for you. That's why my body was broken. And then he took a cup and he said, look, looks like blood. My blood was shed for you. Your body should be broken. Your blood should be shed. You should spend eternity in hell, but I did it for you. And so that's the gospel. And so we're going to play a song. And if you've made this commitment to the Lord, you can come forward and reaffirm that in your own heart. Oh, yeah. My wife's always making the... Dip it, dip it, dip it, dip it. We don't want to share COVID and colds and all that with each other. So take your piece of bread, dip it. Um, if you understand what I'm saying and you're new here and you want Jesus to forgive you, come into your life and you want to follow him, you can come forward and do it. Just make sure you tell somebody you did it so that we can help work, help, help you understand the commitment you've made so you can start walking with Jesus. So I'm going to say a prayer and then we're going to take a moment to come up and... Uh, Celebrate what Jesus has done for us. 
Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that you broke the power of sin and Satan. Thank you that you set us free. You gave us new hearts. You make us clean. You make us love righteousness. You make us like you wanted us to be when you created us. So we celebrate that, and I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that your Holy Spirit would give them understanding so they can embrace the gospel and be made new. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.